Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and today we're chatting to Lieutenant Niall Dungan who is a flight doctor with the Flight Training School in the Air Corps College and we're going to talk about the Air Corps Cadetship which at the time of recording is open for applications until the 31st of May. Thanks very much for coming on Niall. Not too bad, not too bad now. So just for kind of a breakdown of the, of the podcast, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a bit about your own background in the Air Corps and, and like what, what, what made you want to join them. We're going to, we're going to talk about the various phases. So we're going to look at the period of time that Air Corps cadets spend in the current camp um, doing conventional army-style training. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to talk about the ground school phase of the Air Corps cadetship. We're going to talk a bit about the, the flight training phase of the Air Corps cadetship. And then we're just going to finish up with a bit on the applications process and... and where you need to go to get information if you're interested in joining the Air Corps as a pilot officer. So um, I know you've old from uh, in the cadet class that came after me, so I would, I would have seen you, I think, on your first day in the yeah. um, all uh, Too many years ago now for me to think about. But, um, so just uh, give us a bit of a background, Niall, on, on just like yourself and like, you know, how long you've been in the Defence Forces and what made you want to join as, a, as an Air Corps cadet. So I'm from Dunboyne in Meath and I entered in 2013, having just completed Leaving Cert. Um, so I was 17 at the time, finished the leaving cert, and then throughout that summer I would have been going through the application process for the Air Corps. Thankfully enough, I was I was lucky in the, the in my application, and I started down the Curra at the end of September, uh, so three days after I turned 18, down in the Curra camp. Yeah, so why, why I wanted to join, for me, I certainly did always want to fly, and obviously there are multiple uh, options there for becoming a pilot, but there, there was always a draw for me to the military, the career variation that's available there, the potential for personal development, and, and the military always had a certain appeal to me as well. So that kind of swung it for me, and as I said, I was lucky enough to be successful in the application. So as you said, started then down in the Curra um, in September 2013 for the ground or the military training side of things, which took nine months. Went from there then back to Baldonnell to start the ground school phase. Um, so for the ATPL, uh, ground school subjects, the ATPL um, is the airline transit pilot license. Ah, yeah, okay. Um, yes. Which we'll go into a bit later in. in yeah, the, okay. Yeah. So the ground school phase um, finished that, and then you go into the flying phase on the on the Pilatus PC nine. Flying phase took just about a year. Finished that. So I was twenty. So I was twenty when I was commissioned and qualified as a pilot. And then from there, I elected to, or, or I stated my preference for to go towards to rotary wing and um, to fly helicopters. Um, and thankfully enough, that um, that went well, and I started onto a helicopter conversion course. Um, just after finishing the wings course, so uh, that took just under a year um, to finish and to fully qualify on the Eurocopter EC135, and then I stayed there in 302 Squadron in Number Three Operations Wing for a bit under a year, continuing with training, uh, building hours in the aircraft, and, and and carrying out a certain amount of operational tasks, and then. That brings us up to about 2018. Early 2018, I applied for a flight instructor's course, which are, are typically run in the flying training school. Yeah. Um, so I applied for that. Um, again, luckily enough, I was successful in my application. I started in the, in the flying training school, so back onto the Pilatus PC-9 to do the flight instructor's course. Uh, another demanding course. Uh, took six months to complete. And then from there, I started into my current role, which is as a flight instructor there in the flying training school. Um, so I've been there since. Um, so that would have been late 2018, started instructing with the, with the 35th regular Air Corps cadet class. Yeah. Um, instructing them from, from start to finish of their wings course. And that takes us up to about uh, early this year. 
There you are, and it's all for we're all to kick off again soon enough. <laughs> for a lot of people in, in the current series of podcasts we're doing on, on the very on the on the three cadetships, uh, the three services cadetships, it's, it's you're always talking to someone who's basically turned po- from poacher turned gamekeeper who's been a cadet <laughs> yeah. and now is back is back instructing cadets in various aspects. And just just for 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 our listeners, obviously yeah. the cadetship has changed um, in in all in all services has has changed slightly from the days when say um, the people we have on talking about have, have done it and. Obviously, given the current COVID-19 situation, things might be a little bit different again as the Defence Forces tries to deal with the situation and, and continue to train people as best we can within means and capabilities and within HSE guidelines. So bear in mind that this is what we're going to try and do here is give a flavour of what the aircraft entails and air corps pilot training entails. It's a very detailed subject. There's an awful lot in it, but it'll hopefully um, these people go away with a bit more information than they had before. So first of all, you, you mentioned the, the nine months that you spent in the Curragh camp, which, which, as I recall it, when, when we had our Air Corps class with us, it's, you're, you're basically just a member of the Army class for that period of time, yeah, doing yeah. all the same sort of things. What did you take from that, or what, what is the utility of that to, to an Air Corps pilot? You know, the goal here is to become a military pilot, so not just a Yeah, n- of course, not it's just important to distinguish, yeah. Yeah, um, and so I suppose that's your socialisation into the military, um, and, and the big things that I suppose we want to achieve by sending the cadets down to the curve before flight training is to develop their character, uh, develop their leadership skills, mm-hmm. teamwork, and, and I suppose to instill a sense of responsibility and, and the Defence Forces values in them um, before they come back and start their flight training. And it's quite an effective method of doing that. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I was, for me, it would have been nine months, yeah. and then I completed the rest of, the, of, of my wings course as a cadet. Uh, it's slightly different this year, so for the 2020 comp- uh, competition, the cadets will actually be doing the full 15 months with the Army. Yeah. Um, and they'll be commissioned at the end of that. That's subject to change, but for this year, it'll be 15 months in the Curragh. Yeah. Um, and then the wings course and the ground school will be conducted as, as an officer, as a junior officer. Commission officer which, yes. which, which make it slightly different, but the, but the things that you're learning are still going to be the, the, exactly, the yeah, same. Exactly, yeah. It's still the same course, yeah. yeah. And like, it, it just, just for, for outside, again, we will be doing a, a full cadetship for anybody interested in applying for the Army, on, uh, or a full podcast for anybody interested in applying for the Army on the detail of what's going on. But for now, we're just going to talk about the kind of things that Air Corps cadets would take away from their time in the current camp with the Army. Yeah. Um, and how that, how that is advantageous going forward. Kind of talked about the military socialisation side of it and I suppose the discipline you'd get and how that would translate over to like flight training. I mean, how did you, how did you find that? Yeah, I think it definitely helped me a lot. Um, you know, the resilience that you learn um, during that military training because the, there are a lot of long evenings, long days of um, whether that's in ground school, you know, you're covering a lot of theory uh, or in the flying. For me, the, the discipline, as you said, that, that I learned in the current certainly transferred across along with the attention to detail and, and helped me uh, to, to motivate myself and, 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 and make, stay driven, I suppose, throughout the yeah, ground yeah. school and the flying phase. I, I would certainly imagine so, yeah. And you mentioned the kind of like Flying the PC nine, it requires a certain amount of sort of physical and mental robustness as well. It's a, you said it, it posed quite a lot of, <laughs> of of G's as they call them. Not a not a point of myself, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the PC nine yeah. definitely. It's a it's certainly a demanding aircraft to fly. Yeah. Um, it's can pull up to seven G. Um, you certainly need to be in, in a good uh, physically fit state to fly it. Um, and 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 of course that's why we have the the fitness requirements um, on initial entry. Um, and, and, and all cadets and pilots have to conduct air medical exams once a year yeah, to make sure that they are in, in fit state to be flying the aircraft. How did you find, like, on a, on a personal level, did you enjoy your time with the Army or did you find it a bit...? I did. I did enjoy it overall. It certainly was, was a tough nine months, but, but I would say that the, the, the negatives, I should say, were balanced by positives. Yeah. 
um, you know, there's a lot to be gained. There are a lot of a lot of good memories um, and and a lot of achievements down there that I certainly glad to have taken part in and, and and to have done. Yeah, of course, as we're all we're all part of the same organisation and establishing those kind of baselines sort of military principles, you know, is is kind of important before Absolutely. going on to the more technical and specialised stuff. Yeah, which is which is one of the reasons why I suppose from an army point of view, we'd put people through go through a full cadetship now to become engineering officers, to go through the full normal cadetship or okay. ordnance officers and then they specialise after that. So okay, so you, you did your nine months in, in the Curragh and then you move up, back up to Baldonnell to begin the process of learning how to become a pilot. Yeah. So can we go into maybe like the ground school aspect a bit? Like what, what, is, like what is ground school? Ground school, so, well there's a uniform change first off. Yeah. <laughs> You're out of the army gear and into, into your blues, which is a welcome change. Yeah. Ground school is is your first first time now starting to look at, at flying and becoming a pilot. You're, um, there, there are 14 theoretical aviation-related exams that you need to go through. Um, typically takes six to seven months. Okay. Um, and they're in line with the with the Irish Aviation Authority requirements for, for ATPL knowledge. So the kind of subjects that you cover, principles of flight, for example, the maths or the science or the theory of of how aircraft stay in the air and what what what's going on that, that keeps them up there and what they experience meteorology you know learning about the weather how to predict and and forecast and analyze charts to be able to safely plan and, and then execute a flight or a mission communication how do you talk on the radio how do you talk to air traffic control all things that is all knowledge that's going to be required before you ever get into an aircraft yeah. um, and i suppose that is something that's done slightly different as in our military pilot training where we do all of those exams first yeah. So before you ever sit in an aircraft, you, you complete and you have to pass all of those 14 exams. Okay. Um, whereas in some, maybe in some civilian schools or, or elsewhere, you might be doing a certain amount of theory exams and then a certain amount of flying and, and, and both integrated with each other. Okay, um, so, it's, it's, so the idea is get the, get the theory done first. Yeah, get all the knowledge done and then be able to focus on the flying when, when that time comes around. We've mentioned so far now like that ground school is like heavily focused on sort of the academic side of it. And I, I think when we were chatting about the podcast, you mentioned that there's 14 total subjects that um, that you cover during ground school. Mm. It sounds like a kind of really intense sort of an academic time. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, as I said, six six or seven months of, of non-stop uh, lectures and exams over and over again until you've got the 14 done. But I suppose that's where the, the discipline and the and the resilience that you learn in the in the army train down the car, that's where that comes into play because you're very much left to your own devices in terms of in the evenings and, and, and no one's going to come knocking on your door to make sure you're studying. It's up to you to, to keep your head in the books and to get through all the content. But, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and, and that light is, is starting fine in the PC9. So there's a good amount of motivation there to get through it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the fact that you've all your classmates who are in the exact same boat as you doing the same thing. Yeah, so uh, they're all kind of supporting each other as yeah, well. Like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and chatting it through in the evenings. And, and if you're ever, uh, you know, if there's something that you, you can't get your head around, there's always some door that you can go and knock on and, and, and have a chat with someone about yeah, so I suppose you're right, like there's that carrot at the end of the period of training, which is that you get to get in the plane and start to learn how to actually operate. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you, you mentioned like it's a 75% pass rate for each exam, like so. Yeah, so each exam, 75% pass rate. Uh, there are multiple choice. We sit in-house exams in the Air Corps as well, but then we also do sit the Irish Aviation Authority exams again, just to know that we're meeting that, that standard and we're, we're at the required level yeah, um, to meet yeah. the IA's requirements. What that kind of says to me going forward is that like it's an intense period of time, but by the time you actually get to a position to sit, sit into an aircraft, you've heavily covered everything. So you're getting the best sort of training that you could possibly get. Yeah, you've a lot of knowledge by that stage, by the time you're getting into the aircraft, and that's before you even start looking specifically at the at the aircraft specific knowledge. It's, and it's important to stress, I mean, we talked about, touched about it slightly when we talked about sort of the phase one of the training, but 
an Air Corps pilot is also a military officer and a manager and there's a personal responsibility element to it as well. So at, at that point, there might be a little bit more, they might have a little bit more freedom as commissioned officers when they're doing their flight training, but it's all personal responsibility and you have to pass the same exams. Yeah, You absolutely. have to do the same thing. It will, but you, you are still, I suppose, confined to the, to the wings course and, and that's your, your, your primary focus yeah. at that stage, yeah. If you're looking for that dream of actually flying, I mean, yeah, it's a tough old, it's a tough old time, but... You know, if you really want to do it, you'll do it. Like no, I I would certainly agree with that. Yeah. And as regards kind of time for like ground school, so what kind of time we talk about for how long ground school takes? So six to seven months. Six to seven um, months. Yeah, normally delivered by air corps instructors. And yeah, as I said, it's it's quite it's it's a long slog of of the repetitive uh, lectures and exams uh, over and over again. But you know, as we were saying, there is that that light at the end of the tunnel. I suppose, with regard to like a class, a programming time, you know, from the point of view of um, writing the programs in the flight training school, yeah. I presume there must be like a structuring side of it where you want to give them, obviously students need to be given time to study, they need to have their classroom time, but they also probably need activities, recreational time to unwind or, or physical training or all that kind of stuff. Is. Yeah, so, so absolutely, within the, within the program, so typically the morning starts at, at, at 0.45 mm-hmm. um, local time with a weather brief. Um, delivered by either the flying class or or the ground school class if they've covered meteorology at that stage, and um, so the weather brief given to all the staff and the and the students of the school, um, and then from there the flying class will, will obviously go and, and and those run the program will start flying at the ground school class will start into lectures. Um, so there's normally two classes in it. Which I suppose given the length of the course, there will be two classes. Yeah, yeah, two classes on the go at any one time typically, and then the ground school class are very much scheduled for um, then from nine till five lectures with with you know obviously lunch break as required. Um, but within that, over the course of the six or seven months, there there, there will be a certain amount of study time built into the, that program, yeah. and there will be a certain amount of um, physical fitness time built into that program in conjunction with the fitness centre in Baldonnell and and, and, and and other other things as required. And yeah. I suppose that that's connected to not only remaining physically fit because you, because you're part of a military organisation, but also it's good for the it's good for the head if you've had your head in the books for a long period of time to get out and go for a run or something like that. Absolutely, it's it's actually a very nice place to run. Uh, running a lap of the aerodrome in Baldonnell is uh, eight kilometres, so yeah. it's nice to hear guys talking about a lap of the drone quite a lot. It's a good, you know, to go out and clear the head and or even while you're running, be 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 thinking through the theory that you've been learning all day. It's a I, I'd say it's quite a, quite a good environment to learn. To learn yeah, in, yeah. yeah. So, so it's a good con- conducive environment for that. Um, so right, so you've done your your six to seven months of ground school. Um, and you've passed all your theory exams, mm-hmm. and you're kind of you're now getting ready for the next phase, which is your your flight school phase. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as you say, you finish your ground school uh, before you actually get into an aircraft. There are a few things that you have to cover. Um, so, firstly, you need to learn about the about the PC nine. Um, so, the Pilatus PC nine. It's an advanced turboprop trainer aircraft, mm-hmm. um, and the students need to conduct their computer based training first. So that's technical type training, learning about the aircraft, learning about all the systems, um, you know, from the flight controls, how does the aileron, how do the ailerons work, you know, how do the hydraulics work, how does the landing gear go up and down, yeah. how is the, the, the primary flight display uh, powered, uh, how does the engine work, how does the prop work, everything so that um, you understand the aircraft that you're flying. Um, and I suppose in the extreme scenario of if you were uh, dealing with some sort of malfunction in the air that you'd be able to um, diagnose it uh, effectively and, and deal with anything as required in the air. Yeah, so like when we were talking about it, you, you mentioned so you do, you do seven simulation, simulator sessions, so there's a simulator up there, first yeah. of all, before you sit into a plane. Yeah, so we've got a fixed training device. Um, so once you've got your computer-based training done, um, you'll start into a few simulator sessions. Um, this is the kind of stuff that, that you don't need to be in the actual aircraft to learn, um, yeah. the, the likes of your um, pre-start checks, your engine start, 
checks, um, the your you know your after search checks, all all the things that you don't necessarily need to be in, a, in an aircraft with a running engine for, um, to try to maximize on on the availability of the actual aircraft themselves. Okay, right. Sure. Um, so students spend a certain amount of time in the simulator, um, and then and then the final thing that that they need to do is their air crew survival training, um, because the the PC nine has that equipped with a Martin Baker ejection seat. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, in an extreme scenario, you could uh, find yourself ejecting over land, water, um, poor terrain in, in in poor weather, and and we're going to need to be able to far from anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could potentially need to be able to, to to look after yourself for for a while on the ground. Um, so the 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 students will do their their survival training uh, for land, for sea, and and learn about the post ejection phase. So if you were to have to egress the aircraft, what drills would you go through? Okay. Um, and and how would you manage your equipment once you're on the ground and 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 look after yourself in that in that regard? Okay, and that, that's probably an aspect of it that people maybe listening in today wouldn't have thought about. Mm-hmm. You focus very much on on the actual nuances of flying the aircraft, but. What about what happens if if you find yourself alone somewhere having had a had an issue in it? I mean, um, I know that the naval service as well and and the and the army do an awful lot of survival training as well. Mm. But it's it's so it's a it's an aspect people might think about too much. Yeah, and and as you said, it certainly builds on the survival training that that cadets would have learned down in the Curra, yeah, um, as part of the military training. Um, so it builds on that, and and, and you're, you're you're adding on to that, and adding on the the essential stuff for for air crew survival as well. Is it that kind yeah. of specific sort of element? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 Like the sea survival element of it sounds interesting as well because we do the air corps, the air corps do um, so many operations in conjunction with the naval service, like maritime defence and security patrols and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So for the PC nine specifically, what if if you if you're in a in, in a scenario where you ejected over water, um, all going well, you'll be in the water with uh, with the dinghy that will have left the aircraft with you. Yeah. And um, so being able to set that up, get inside, get warm, um. And, and and be able to wait out for for uh, for help to arrive. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Wow. So okay. So you've done your seven simulator sessions. You've done your survival training, your computer based training, and you've looked at your as you said your aircraft egress Like what happens if you actually have to eject from mm-hmm. the aircraft? So first day, first flight. What what is that like? What was like? What was that like for you? First flight. Oh, I was it was great. Um, yeah, I still remember it very well. The first flight, I suppose, is quite instructor uh, yeah. heavy. The instructor will do most of the flying. Um, and, and point out things to you where you can, uh, you know, connect the dots. I suppose of what you learned in the computer-based training, and 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 start start tying in the stuff from your from your grand school phase, um, with, with a certain amount of hands-on. But yeah, that was that was great. You know, that that flight is on your mind quite a lot throughout the the military training, the ground school training. Um, so it was nice to finally get into the aircraft and get started. From there, then you're pretty quickly into pretty high tempo learning environment. So you start off by looking at the effects controls. You know, how, how do you climb and descend? How do you hold straight and level? How do you taxi the aircraft? How do you take off the aircraft? I suppose you start looking at circuits. So circuits being focusing on the takeoff and landing phase, um, more or less taking off on, on a certain runway, flying a somewhat rectangular pattern, yeah. coming back around and landing again and doing that uh, on repeat. So the, each, ter- each circuit takes about four minutes in the PC-9, um, and that's quite a busy phase. It's quite a busy phase for students. There's a lot. There's a lot happens in that time, and and obviously the landing phase, the takeoff phase, being some of the more dangerous portions of a flight. It's it's quite quite important that that, that those skills are all learned learned well at that stage. So it's interesting from the point of view. Maybe it's tell it's telling on the quality of the training as well that one of the first things you actually learn when you're doing these circuits is one of the hardest parts of actually piloting an aircraft is is the takeoff and the landing side of it. I suppose how long before you're actually in a position to pilot 
say the PC9 on your own I mean how many flights do you have to do and it's, it's not very long it's 20 flights well that isn't very much yeah so so 20 flights and you do your first solo um, and what that consists of is basically three three circuits so uh, 12 minutes of flying um, take off and land three times and then and then taxi back to the ramp on your first day doing that I mean what was that like as in the night before going tomorrow I'm going to be flying this on my own I mean that must have been an amazing experience must have been an nerve-wracking experience yeah, it was, um, I suppose for me, it, the nerves thankfully didn't come out too much because you're so busy. You're so um, focused, yeah. Yeah, you've got a lot to do in those 12 minutes, the three takeoffs and landings, and, uh, you know, you're running through checks, you're, you're, you're keeping on top of the aircraft, and um, I think it, for me, it really only sank in once I was landed, yeah. and I was taxiing back, and the, the, the satisfaction at that point came with, you know, that it, it just happened. Yeah. Um, I've done my first solo in the PC9, but, but it was an absolutely brilliant experience. Um, it's interesting in the PC9 because it's a tandem cockpit aircraft. The student normally sits in the front and the instructor sits in the back. Yeah. So as a student, you can't see the instructor. And you can hear him over the, over the communication system. And you can, if he's flying the aircraft, you can see the controls move, but you can't actually see him. Yeah. So when you're flying on your own, there's no, there's no visual difference. You're still, everything looks the same to you. It's just that you're a little bit lighter in the air. Yeah. Um, as opposed to maybe flying in a, in a helicopter or, 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 a, or a larger aircraft or any of our other aircraft for that matter. Where you can, where you can see. You can you physically can, you see. see the person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I suppose you still have the instructor on, in your ear just saying, keep an eye on this, keep an eye on that. I mean, you're not, you're solo in the air yourself, but you obviously have radio comms with the, with the tower or what have you. With the tower, yeah. So you're in direct um, communications with, with air traffic control, but mm. there's no... Um, the plan would be for there to be no instructor input at all. Okay, cool. there is there is an instructor up in the in the air traffic control tower if anything goes wrong, but but typically there'd be no um, correspondence there unless unless it was required or unless there was um, something that the instructor needs okay, to discuss so it's, with the student. It's just you. Yeah, very much. <laughs> but I, then again, this is what we we talked about. I mean, if if you want to become a pilot and you want to become a, mili- a military aviator, military pilot, this is what you're building towards. Yeah, it's it's you being in, in control of this of this aircraft. Absolutely, um, and and you know the so the the age entrance I suppose for for the cadetship is eighteen to twenty six. For me, I know that that's all. I was nineteen going solo in the PC nine, so it's it's a great opportunity to fly in, in quite a, an advanced aircraft and, yeah. and to get to get into your flying career at quite an early age. I from that co- perspective, the coolness factor, like you know, <laughs> yeah. as we spoke when we 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 recently did a podcast on sniping, and we kind of talked about the coolness factor of. Being a sniper, there's a serious coolness factor associated with being a with being a pilot as well. There's a bit of that, maybe, yeah. Especially, especially <laughs> in a, especially in a military aircraft as well. Yeah, no, it's it, it's certainly something good to be involved in. Very satisfying. So you've done your you've done your first solo flight in the PC nine, and now where does it go then from training? I mean, obviously after twenty flights, you're not told you're a pilot now. Off you go. There's other things to to, to do. Yeah, so you start building on the flying from there. You start going towards, I suppose, um, more advanced circuits. So the likes of uh, flapless circuits, if you've got no flaps available for for landing or if they've malfunctioned. Are these on the back of the back of the wings of the back aircraft? Back of the wings yeah. to give you more lift for for typically for the takeoff and landing phase. Yeah, um, so flapless circuits we practice with students at that stage. Um, then we progress towards glide circuits. Um, so simulating that your engine has has failed and you need to glide back to the airfield and, and land without the engine. Um, would that actually be touching down yeah, onto yeah. the well? Yeah, so we set a very low power setting that simulates that the, that the engine has failed um, and, and yeah, teach students how to land from that scenario. Um, then we start moving out towards the training area. So we've got, um, there's large areas of military airspace um, over the Midlands um, predominantly. And so we start moving out there a bit more and looking at general handling of the aircraft. And this is where we start moving towards the likes of aerobatics and um, 
progressing with our stall recovery training, uh, spin recovery training. Um, and, and this is where you're getting the, the student comfortable with the aircraft, comfortable uh, operating the aircraft towards its limits. Um, so I know we mentioned the, the 7G earlier. Um, so this is where the, the, the aerobatic phase, I suppose, when you start experiencing G yeah. um, and, and aerobatic maneuvers, um, which which is an, certainly an enjoyable phase of the flying. And it's something that you know you see plenty of videos of online and, 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 and then you get to a stage where you're actually doing it yourself. Um, but what that's doing is it's, it's instilling confidence in, in the students in flying the aircraft because if you can fly it towards the edge of the aircraft's envelope, um, then, then when you're doing the more mundane things or the more basic skills like flying straight and level, hopefully they'll seem a bit more um, uh, doable. They won't, they won't seem as extreme as yeah, yeah. doing a, I don't know, a barrel roll or, or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flying upside down and all that stuff must be, must be crazy as well. Um, Fantastic, and and then with regard to I think we mentioned in in the in the podcast planning like um, instrument uh, instrument flying or, or flying in heavy weather or all that kind of thing. Yeah, so absolutely. The next stage of the end you'd be moving on towards is your instrument flying and, and starting looking at navigation. And um, so instrument flying is uh, basically what you're what you're looking at there is as opposed to flying by visual reference and looking outside at ground features and towns and roads and canals. To, to, to navigate now we're looking inside the cockpit only and, okay. and what that enables us to do is fly in bad weather fly through cloud and not need to look outside and um, so uh, you're relying on, on instruments uh, on, on, on radio beacons on instrument landing systems and uh, GPS data to, to get around the place um, it's something that I think can be daunting but um, again what, what, what a lot of it comes back to is your preparation on the ground um, and, 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 and taking in as much as you can from simulator sessions that would have been done beforehand yeah. and applying that then to the flying that you do in the air. Okay, well, so flying without being able to see anything in cloud must be fairly daunting as well. <laughs> it sounds worse than it actually is. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's easier to tell us that here. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you, after that then, we kind of, you enter your kind of more advanced phase and you continue flying. How many flights on a PC-9 would you complete before you're actually kind of your final testing or how, how does that work it's 128 flights long yeah so your final your, your final flight is an operational readiness assess, assessment um, and that's flight 128 um, and yeah so up, up to that stage um, you'd have done your instrument flying you'd have looked at medium and low level navigation and um, you'd have then progressed on towards advanced aerobatic maneuvers and then towards the end of the towards the end of the wings course um, we start looking at night flying um, and navigation uh, and formation flying so formation flying from the perspective of first off as as a follow aircraft, so flying in close formation, mm -hmm. um, which is which is a, a pretty demanding skill to develop, and then also as the leader of a formation, that'll be right towards the end of the wings course, going towards your operational readiness assessment. Okay, and so for anybody who's kind of wondering what that might look like, if you were to be watching, say, the um, the Easter parade or, or something like that, that those have the flying formation in various kind of V shapes and that kind of thing yeah. over the top of fly past. That, yeah. that'd be an example. That's of that. it. That's that's flying information. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So your your the lead aircraft is is managing the. Um, any any aircraft in that formation and, and the follow aircraft are are more or less keeping their position and holding their station. So so in this time you you've like that that's kind of an indicator of, of a real sort of level of mastery of the of the aircraft and being able to really really control it in a in a in a kind of beyond sort of competent way. Yeah, you're you're now not only responsible for your own aircraft if you're if you're leading that formation you're now responsible for for potentially multiple aircraft. So. Um, so by that stage, yeah, the students should should have a, a, a decent level of, of confidence and competence in the aircraft yeah. and to be able to manage those kind of flights, yeah. And we would touch on this because it, it is true, like, I mean, it, it isn't for everybody, like, not everybody is mm. 
I mean, flights can be failed. Like, you're not guaranteed to become a pilot on starting this training. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, as you said, unfortunately, it doesn't work out for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we give, we, we, we try to do the best we can to get everyone through the wings course, but ultimately, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so, there, but there are options at that stage. Um, and and for, this, for this year's intake, you're going to be an officer already by the, by the time you, mm -hmm. you get towards your, your flight training. So if it were to unfortunately not work out at that stage, there are options like being retained in the Air Corps as a line officer or uh, being posted to another corps of the Army or, or if, you, if you wish at that stage to, to, to resign your commission. That's an option as well. An option, yeah. But, but as you said, everybody is facilitated as much as possible to, um, to complete their, their training. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously in the flying trains goes best interest to, to qualify as many pilots as possible. Um, so uh, the opportunities are afforded um, to, to get through it as much as possible, yeah. After you've done all these 128 flights and you've, you've gone through all of this training, the ceremony at the end, so the commissioning ceremony for like an Army cadet is the, is the culmination of it. But for people who will be coming in this year to, to join the Air Corps as, as cadets, they'll already be commissioned as officers. So what, yeah. what ceremony finishes up when you become a pilot, or what, what is that? So that'll be the presentation of wings ceremony, yeah, on, or, or on your wings day, yeah. um, which is when the general officer commanding of the Air Corps pins, pins the military pilot's wings to your chest, and, and now you are a qualified military pilot um, at the culmination of all your training. So that's quite a special day. How, do, how was it for you? Do, like, was it a fierce sense of pride, sense of achievement? Is the day just a blur? I know my own commissioning day is a bit of a blur, like, but... It's a big weight off the chest anyway, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> You've made it. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 a long time thinking about that day and, and waiting for it to come. Yeah. Um, and as as we were, we were discussing, there's no guarantees that, that you will get there. So when when the wings are, are placed on your chest, absolutely, there's a massive sense of satisfaction and pride. Uh, you know, your your family and friends are there, as I said, um, and 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 that's that's you now ready to be posted to, to an operational unit. All right. And so to, in total, and I know it's kind of approximately, and again, just to note as well. As we said at the, at the top of the podcast, the COVID-19 situation is still ongoing at the time of recording. So, I mean, that will more than likely affect how the Defence Forces is, is able to train people going forward for the immediate future anyway, certainly. And I know as well that like weather conditions and things affect like flight training and, and how long that takes. But approximately, how long are we talking from induction into the Defence Forces to actually receiving those pilot's wings? Um, well, I suppose if we... if So it's going to be 15 months in the Curra, six or seven months in the ground school, and then just over a year... In the flying phase, you're probably looking at 34 or 35 months. Okay, right. Um, yeah, around right, right about that mark, anyway, for from from day one to, to wings. Yeah. Okay, so you re you've received your um you received your wings and you're now a qualified uh, military pilot in the PC9. Post your wing ceremony, where can you go? As in, what what are the what are the options? There's a number of different aircraft that the Irish Air Corps operates. Like, so what's what's the? Yeah, so there's at that stage you would have stated your preference. Is what you can do. State your preference as to whether you'd like to go to uh, on towards fixed-wing aircraft, larger fixed-wing aircraft, um, or into rotary-winged aircraft. Um, so that would be either to, to number three, which number three operations wing, which is our, our heli helicopter unit, or towards number one operations wing, which is where our fixed-wing aircraft are. Typically, if you're going to go towards number three, which is obviously the route that I took, um, you're going to go onto a helicopter conversion course okay. on the EC-135 um, to qualify as a helicopter pilot. Um, and then from there, typically spend a certain amount of time on the 135 before progressing on to, the, to our bigger um, or our medium utility aircraft that goes to Western 139 okay. um, and fly that. We've got six of those. Um, other options in, in, in number three down the road could be the Garda Heli helicopters, uh, which again are EC-135s, slightly different variants. Um, but they're all, all options there within number three operations wing. Okay. Um, or if you were to go towards the fixed wing side of the house, we've got two CASA CN-235 
maritime patrol aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Learjet 45, uh, the government or the ministerial transport aircraft. Um, and then we currently have one Pilatus PC-12, soon, soon to have four. Um, Pilatus PC-12 uh, intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance aircraft. Which are the, the newest additions to the to the aircraft fleet. Yes, yeah, newest addition. And we'll be doing, to know out there, we'll be doing podcasts in, in the coming months on the various different aspects of all three services and on, on various types of equipment. So uh, watch the space, you may see more detail on, on all of those. Um, so, okay, so you, so you go down, you, you go down, but also there is the aspect as well that you're also a military officer in, in a military unit. So there are responsibilities that come with that as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So typically alongside your flying duties, you'll have some uh, ground responsibilities as well. You know, as you said, you're, you're, you're an officer as well. Um, and, fa- and in fact, you're an officer first and a pilot second. So typically you're posted to a unit and given some sort of responsibility, whether that's uh, the, a unit flight safety officer or if you're involved in operations. For me, that, that, was, that was it for me. I, I was the, the unit second command of operations in number three yeah. um, until I went back to the flying training school for the instructor's course. Um, and, and you need to, you obviously have to manage your time between uh, your responsibilities on the ground and, and, and the flying aspect of it. I mean, that's an interesting, because that's what kind of differentiates you as like a military aviator, gives you that sort of level, level of responsibility. If people have been listening at home, have been listening to this, and they said, oh, that sounds like something I'd really like to do, what's the system for applying, or how, how does it work? So it's an online application um, this year. First phase of that will be online psychometric testing, and that's un- unsupervised at home. So find a quiet room and, and spend a few hours doing the psychometric tests, mm-hmm. or however long it takes. From there, then, if you're past that stage, um, you're then in towards the military and aviation assessments, which would, which would all take place in, in, in Casement Air Base in Baldonnell. Um, so that starts with a fitness test, which will be in line with the with the army fitness tests. Um, it's it's a one and a half mile run, um, and and then push ups and a certain amount of push ups and sit ups okay. uh, within sixty seconds. Just just to kind of go go back, because we we'll, we'll talk about the sort of uh, physical fitness aspect of it, but we yeah. are to the online application as well. There are, and we won't go into heavy detail here because it's available in the terms and conditions on the website on military.ie on the aircraft connection page. But there are a number of number of kind of academic standards you will have to have met before applying. Yeah, so there's, it depends on if you're entering with or without a level 8 degree. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a level 8 degree, um, you can apply, or if um, you're straight from leaving cert, and there are certain um, a minimum number of, of higher level subject grades that you need to have achieved and, and a minimum number of ordinary level grades. Um, okay, and as we said, they're available in the terms and conditions on the Air Corps Cadetship page on military.ie for anybody who's looking at looking at them. So to go back, so you've done your online application and then you're, you're invited to do the, the, fit, the fitness assessment in uh, Baldano. Yeah. Um, so fitness assessment, it's a it's one and a half mile run. Uh, for males, that's that needs to be done in eleven minutes forty seconds. For females, it's uh, 13, 13 minutes and ten seconds. Mm. Uh, and then you've got sixty seconds to do twenty push ups and sixty seconds to do twenty sit ups. Okay. Um, and if you pass that, then you're on to the next stage. After that, there follows group assessments. Group assessments, yeah, again to see how how candidates uh, suppose interact with different people in a group, their teamwork skills, their the leadership skills, yeah. um, and you're going to have a number of assessors watching at that point and trying to gauge who the who the, who the top performers are yeah, in, in that group. From there, then you're you're on towards the aviation assessments, um, so more which are real specific um, tests for the Air Corps. Yes, a lot, a lot of these will follow. Um, a lot of services will have their own distinct ones. So this is real specific stuff for the Air Corps. Yeah, specific for an Air Corps pilot cadetship. So more psychometric testing uh, will be done at this stage, except this time it's going to be supervised, um, unlike the first round, which is at home. So supervised psychometric testing, psychomotor testing, uh, cognitive testing, uh, all trying to, you know, to, to pick out the candidates who have the best natural ability um, to be military pilots and aviators. There's a kind of a hand-eye coordination aspect to that, and there's sort of a, that you might not necessarily have to have the same 
kind of um, aptitude for if you were going for other services? Yeah, hand-eye coordination, multitasking, more or less uh, playing computer games to try to yeah. um, to, to find yeah. the candidates who have those the, the psychomotor skills. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that, that's the kind of that's the unique aspect of it. So you've done your overnight, and then there, there's interviews after that. Uh, yeah, there's uh, so you do a realistic job preview there as well. Um, Just to say, it's on a, it's on a different it's that's at a different stage. Like you're not you don't come out. In the, in the group assessment and then the psychomotor testing and the psychometric testing and then have to go straight and then walk into the interview. Yeah, no. you're given time to Thanks prepare. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you would do a psychological assessment as well um, with, with an aviation psychologist and then from, from there then go in towards the, if you're successful in the previous mm-hmm. stage, um, go for your final interview. Final interview typically is in front of a panel of six and again, you're looking for, what will be looked for there is, is the competencies, specific competencies again, as you said, they're all in the terms and conditions but you know, the likes of uh, decision making, problem solving, your planning and organising ability, your ability to, to work in a high pressure environment or under stress, yeah. good communication skills, um, your own motivation and discipline, a certain amount of technical aptitude, uh, and then a certain amount of maturity for for your respective age on entering. Yeah, of course, so. and like as I, as I remember, because I know the, the competency based interviewing is similar across across all. So yeah. it's, it's a it's an opportunity for you to showcase what you in your life have done thus far under these headings. And as we said, it's all available in the terms and conditions. It's explained to candidates um, who are brought onto that stage what they what they need to do um, in order to prepare themselves. To go. Yeah. And, and, and it can be ner- I remember being very nervous in the times that I went for it, went for the for the army. Um, it is a nerve wracking thing going in and sitting down in front of in front of those six people. Looking it at is, you. yeah. Um, you know, I was I had just done my leaving cert. I was seventeen years old with a with a mouthful of braces. So it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> thankfully they were gone before I went down to the curl. But you know what we want to say to people is that yeah, like it's a bit intimidating, but it's your opportunity to show how good you are or why you should be taken yeah. on. Um, and given a cadetship in the Defence Forces across the three services. And we'll be discussing competency-based interviewing in all of our podcasts that we're going to be doing on cadetships and also in all any podcast we do on recruitment into the enlisted ranks. And it's, it's something that happens across the board in any, um, in any application to the Defence Forces. You say you're successful in your interview and you, you pass the interview phase and you move on. Um, what comes after that then? Say you're successful in that. Uh, so from that stage, a panel is, is made up of candidates who've passed the final interview for medical assessment. Um, and that's the kind of final stage is, is uh, passing an air medical examination to, to ensure that you're medically fit to, to initiate or to start a cadetship. And, and things like your, your vision, your hearing, body measurements are taken. And of course, there are certain standards and they're all outlined in, in the T's and C's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then if you're, if you're successful with that, there's a, you then put on a panel. I presume, and given your offer, if you're yeah, if you de- depending on the number of offers that are, that are being made that year, then the top, you know, whether it's five or ten, whoever many is being taken, uh, will be will be sent emails offering them a cadetship. So, if anybody's interested interested in applying, we would encourage them to vi- to visit the current competitions page on military.ie. I think there's an awful lot of information in what we've discussed uh, today for anyone interested in applying for the Air Corps cadetship or. Indeed, for anybody that has an academic interest in it. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and speaking to us now. Really yeah. appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Keen. For our listeners out there, as always, keep an eye on Defence Forces social media platforms and military.ie for further updates on the Irish Defence Forces. For serving members, we encourage you to check out the members area of military.ie as well. As discussed, the Defence Forces Cadetship competition is currently open until the 31st of May 2020. And for information on all services cadetships, please visit the current competitions page on military.ie. Today's episode was produced by Gunnar Park Sullivan and Sergeant Paul Keeley. Um, the Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with another episode. And as always, to everybody out there, stay safe.